the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and other. How are you doing this fine evening? This fine Sunday night. Welcome to the show. This is Untethered Live, and I am Jake Johnson. I'll be your host for the evening. Buckle your seatbelts, put your trays in the upright position. Sit back, relax, take your shoes off, and enjoy the show. We're going to break out a good book and learn you a thing or two. Something you can bring on a little while. Right off the bat, we got MVTV in the house. Andrew Langlois. Langlois? Lang Langlois. Langlois. Lois Lang? Interesting. What a name. My name is Kent Clark. Welcome to the show. How are you doing this fine evening? Hope you're having a good night. Hope you're ready to rock and roll, get some Bible in you. That's what we come here to do. You know how it is. We are in the great book of Exodus still, chapter 37, verse 1. That's where we left off. That's where we'll pick up. Langlois rhymes with noise. Langlois. Langlois, noise, Langlois. Gotcha. I think it spells Langlois, though. But I like how you go with it. Langlois. It's just an interesting last name. You can walk around with a Superman shirt on and nobody could touch you. I like it, though. Andrew's also a name from the Bible. Did you know that? Sure you did. Sure your mama told you. He was one of the disciples. We got a couple people here. I'm going to shoot the breeze a little while until everybody rolls in and we'll get started. How did your weekend go? Did you do anything impressive, exciting, unusual, illegal? Tell me all about it. Tell me how you went. Tell me what you got into. All I did, unfortunately, was sleep and work. Peter is a security guard at the pearly gates. That is true. So I hear. At least all the jokes report that. People are always saying uh, about going to heaven, how they want to be in there. I'm like, I'm perfectly happy being in a tent on the outskirts of town, right on the outside of the gate would be just fine with me. As long as I'm in the vicinity and I can peer over the wall and see God every now and then, I'm perfectly happy. I ain't got to be perfect. As long as I can strike up a conversation with Pete every now and then, we're good. 
as long as I don't go the other way. You know what I'm saying? Andrew and Peter are brothers. Both are two of the 12 disciples. Amen. You are correct, sir. Do you know all of them? I don't know all of them. I think I, I think I know most of them. I got the weird one, Bartholomew. He's in there. Uh, James, that was uh, Jesus' brother. MVTV says, I'm spending far too much time stressing on the little fires breaking out as I make this final stretch back to black after a summer of extra crippling expenses. Not to be a bummer. Well, you know what, MBTV? How about we just pray for you and see if it helps a little. Judas, who was once with them and is no longer. You're correct. Who was he replaced by, do you know? He was replaced. James and John were the two made fishermen, fishers of men, yes. And then you got Simon and his brother. Jesus liked brothers. Matthew. Mark was not a disciple, contrary to popular belief. And you got uh, Saul, who was became a disciple afterwards, after Jesus' death. Yes, Simon is the brother of Andrew, correct? He's Simon Peter, right. Well, his name was Peter, but Christ named, or his name is Simon, but Christ changed his name to Peter. I'm here, but also on Captain Curmudgeon. Well, I hear you, brother. Well, at least you dropped by. Where nearly each fire was put out by positives out of left field just gets weary. But a lot of people would pay double for these hassles versus their daily hardships. That's true. No matter how bad you got it, there's always somebody got it worse. You ever want to feel good about yourself? Drive down to the local uh, food line or Walmart and drive around back and see the people that are sleeping out by the trash cans. That'll make you feel good. Not exactly opposite, Andrew. Uh, Jesus' mind was changed when he spoke to a, uh, one of his people. I believe it was a woman. I could be wrong about that. But she said uh, to Jesus, why not open up the tradition for everybody? Jesus said these are for God's chosen people. Everybody ain't for this. And she says even the dogs get scraps from the master's table. And that touched a nerve in Jesus, and he changed his mind. And then from that point forward, he opened the gospel up to everybody. Before that, he only was preaching to the Jews. That's a very important distinction you need to keep straight. Paul was put in place to teach the gospels to the Gentiles. James, who was the successor to Jesus, who ran the church after he died, him and Paul... Or, or Saul, rather, 
were at odds for a little while. They actually had battles, but they worked it out in the end, and at the end, they were even friends. They even came together because at first, James didn't want to change anything. He wanted to teach what Jesus taught from the beginning and nothing else, but he was won over by the rest of the disciples who saw the good in Paul, who knew that he was touched by Christ, and who knew that he had the divine inspiration because of what he was teaching and because of his story. So they, they made it clear in the end. So Paul went on teaching the Gentiles circumcision of the heart, while James and his crew went on teaching circumcision of the flesh to the Jews. So that's the main distinction between the two teachings. It's not exactly opposite, but you're, you're, on, you're on the mark. Just read into it a little bit, that's all. <clears throat> Right. He was the brother of Christ. Half-brother, actually. Because, you know, his daddy was elsewhere. But, yeah, he had two or three brothers and a couple sisters. A lot of people don't realize that. It's a pretty interesting study. Look into that. The other James was the successor. Okay. I believe I said that. Either way, my point remains the same. James taught the circumcision of the flesh. Saul taught circumcision of the heart. Both the same teaching from different perspectives. Because now, everybody is adopted into the family of Christ. Sorry, I wasn't listening to us. Okay. We got it. How are you doing, Caucasian? Where's my April at tonight? She's running a little late. Uh, she'll be here, though. That's one thing, though, that the Catholics teach the perpetual virginity of the, the Virgin Mary. And I'm like, you realize she had four or five kids past Jesus, right? So she wasn't a virgin. Jesus was the first, and he was done through a virgin birth, meaning that there wasn't a male involved. It was God's spirit that overshadowed her, whatever, however that worked. But her and Joseph had quite a few youngins. And uh, some of them even went into to the uh, teaching with Christ. I think two of his brothers did, James being one of them, but I think there was another brother. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe his name was Judas also, not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. I could be wrong about that. It could be just Jude. I can't remember exactly. But uh, either way, how they get perpetual virginity is beyond me because it's not biblical by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's quite clear the opposite. Hey, there's Margie. April, yes, she loves you. She loves us all. And we love her. How are you doing this fine evening? Good, I hope. That was one, the ninth of 12th. Be more specific.
don't exactly know what you're talking about there. All right. It's about that time. Shall we go down? Fine. Thanks, Jake. You're welcome. Come on down here to this page. Let's get the book out. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to Exodus 37, 1, chapter 37, verse 1. That's where we left off last week. That's where we're picking up tonight. And it goes. And Bezalel made the ark of Shittim wood. Two cubits and a half was the length of it, and a cubit and a half was the breadth of it, and a cubit and a half was the height of it. And he overlaid it with pure gold within and without, and made a crown of gold round about it. Right, not Iscariot, right. Uh, one of Jesus' brothers, I believe, was na named either Judas or Jude. One or the other. I can't remember exactly. Been a while since I read it. But there were 12 disciples which were, which, which, with which one was betrayer, and that was Judas Iscariot. Correct. And there were two Judases in the 12. Okay. Well, one of them was his brother then. I thought it might have been Jude that was his brother, but. I get so bogged down with names, I can't halfway remember where I'm at. I'm lucky I can remember my name. Anyway, and he cast it four rings of gold to be set on the four corners of it, even two rings upon the one side of it and two rings upon the other side of it. And he made staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark to bear the ark so they could pick it up and walk with it. And he made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was the length of thereof, and one cubit and a half the breadth thereof. That must have been a sight to behold when that thing was finished, with the two cherubs forming the back of the chair and the arms of the chair. And then the guys toting it along. Man, I would have loved to have seen that. He made two cherubims. Of gold beaten out of one piece made he them on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on the one end on this side and the other cherub on the other end on that side. Out of the mercy seat made he the cherubims on the two ends thereof. Now the way that I picture this, and I may not be correct, but the way that I see it is there was a cherub on each side of the seat and they had two wings spread out this way, touching. That made the back of the seat. And the other two wings come out this way, making the arms or the sides of the seat. I don't know if you could probably put your arms on it, but you could sit inside of the wings. That, that's where God would sit on that mercy seat when he came into the Holy of Holies to visit with whoever the high priest was at the time. And he made the table of shittim wood. Two cubits was the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Long, skinny table. <clears throat> and he overlaid it with pure gold and made thereunto a crown of gold round about. Why? So that the bread won't roll off. Also, he made thereunto a border of an hand breadth round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof round about. 
and he cast for it he cast for it four rings of gold and put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof. Over against the border were the rings, the places for the staves to bear the table. So they everything they had, all of the furniture for the tabernacle was mobile. They could pick it up and walk with it. And they designed it that way on purpose. The tabernacle, too, they could roll the whole thing up. And I don't know how many of them, 50 or 100 of them, could tote that thing off and go wherever they're going with it. The whole idea was that it was mobile because they were wandering in the desert at the time. So wherever they stopped, they'd set it up, have church, break it down, and move on, move on to the next place. Over against the border were the rings, the places for the staves to bear the table. Uh-oh. Found it. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold to bear the table. And he made the vessels which were upon the table, his dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold. And he made the candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work made he the candlestick, his shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers were, the sa were of the same. And six branches going out of the side thereof, and three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof. We're talking about a menorah now. If you don't know what a menorah is, do a quick Google search, and you'll get a good image of what one looks like. And that's pretty close to what they made here. Three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch, a knop and a flower, and three bowls made like almonds in another branch, a knop and a flower. So throughout the six branches going out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, his knop and his flowers, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, two, four, six. <clears throat> According to the six branches going out of it. Their knops and their branches were of the same. All of it was one beaten work of pure gold. Can you imagine how valuable this furniture is, should they ever find it? We're talking first gold. Gold that does not exist in the world today. Gold that hasn't been here since then. Back then, you could pick it up off the ground. There was so much of it, and there were many mines everywhere. Since then, we've whittled it down to just a little bit that's left in the world, and it's been recycled quite a few times. It is entirely possible, if you're wearing a gold ring, that that gold at one time was on Cleopatra's hand or somebody in that era because they recycle it. They make gold stuff. They recycle gold into other things and sell it again. There's not any new gold being found. Since about the gold rush of the 1800s, there hasn't been any new gold found. Pretty interesting, that. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold made he it, and all the vessels thereof. And he made the incense altar of shittim wood, the length of it was a cubit, and the breadth of it was a cubit. It was four square, 
like a coffee table, square. <clears throat> and two cubits was the height of it, and the horns thereof were the same. Also two cubits, length of horns on either corner. Why it had horns, your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I could only assume to hang stuff on or to just look intimidating, who knows. But it had horns, this altar. And he overlaid it with pure gold, both the top of it and the sides thereof round about, and the horns of it also. Also he made unto it a crown of gold round about. And he made the two rings of gold for it under the crown thereof, by the two corners of it, upon the two sides thereof, to be placed for the staves to bear it withal. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And he made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the apothecary. An apothecary is like a pharmacy but for homeopathic things. Herbs and spices and bats, tails and rat eyes and, you know, just different weird things. Whatever you can make medicine out of they had it and uh there, here's proof that they were thinking about that kind of science even back then that's what an apothecary is you know it's a place to buy medicine not just medicine but also like uh if you could picture it back then that's where the gnc stuff would be you know the weightlifting powders and the uh foot wraps and you know, sports stuff and creams and ointments and things like that would have been in that place. Obviously, they didn't have that particular thing back then, but you get my point. It's like like when you go to the mall and you go into that little place that's kind of like a pharmacy, but it don't have a pharmacy name. It's not like Rite Aid or, or uh, Real O Drugs or whatever. It's just some weird name thing, and you go in and there's a woman dressed like she's a Stevie Nicks fan, and you immediately smell incense when you walk in the door and there's little unmarked bottles everywhere, that's an apothecary. And he made the altar of burnt offerings of shittim wood. Five cubits was the length thereof, and five cubits were the breadth thereof. It was four square, and three cubits the height thereof. He made the horns thereof on the four corners of it, the horns thereof were of the same, and he overlaid it with brass. Why brass? Because it, it needed to be stronger than the gold. That's why. Gold is not a very strong metal, but brass is stronger. Brass is also a, uh, I forget what you call it, when you mix metals together, like nickel and iron, or nickel and tin and gold, whatever. It's a, a mixture. There's a name for it, but I can't think of it, but... That's it right there. It's uh, metallurgy. Proof that they were thinking about that kind of science in those days too because brass don't come out of the ground by itself. It comes in the form of tin and other things and then they mix it together and you get brass. Copper. And he made all the vessels of the altar, the pots and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the fire pans... All the vessels thereof he made of brass. Why? Because brass is stronger. I'm a horticulturalist as well. 
congratulations. I'm sure you know a thing or two about growing stuff. I got a brown thumb myself, black thumb, can't grow nothing. You can give me something that grows by itself and I'll kill it. Now, one thing I want you to be acutely aware of, this altar, it's got pots and shovels to shovel out the ashes and pots to shovel it into and basins to, for blood to drop, drip down into and flesh hooks to handle the meat with and fire pans, which is a frying pan, essentially, and different vessels, cups and, and forks and things like that. What we're describing here is a barbecue pit. That's basically what the altar is, is a barbecue pit with all the utensils that go with a barbecue pit. If you've ever seen one, you know what I'm talking about. The kind they put in the ground with the bricks. It's like that. It's made of wood, but it's covered over in metal enough so that the fire doesn't burn the wood. And they use it to cook meals on. These meals are the... Uh, sacrifices, the wave offering and the burnt offerings for sin and the burnt offerings for forgiveness. And there's five or six different types of offerings depending on what you're offering for. And there's rules that go along with it. And only certain people get certain portions of meat and the other people get what's left over. And nobody's allowed to take leftovers. You eat everything that you can eat. And if there's any leftover, you burn it up with fire and get rid of the ashes outside of the camp. Because ultimately this is a offering to God, but you're the one that's going to eat it. God's not going to come down and eat it. The people eat it. So you're killing two birds with one stone. You're making an offering before the Lord, and you're feeding everybody. It's pretty smart. But I don't know why people get all freaked out about sacrifices, and they talk about it like it's some mystical thing that they shouldn't do or, or that it's some kind of sin to do. And I'm like, well, they had to eat at some point. All they're doing is cooking dinner and giving it in glory of God. <sighs> Apothecary is all three parts of it with which I am only becoming a horticulturist. Another part of what that is is having to do with studying the dirt and what it has. Yes, there are some properties of dirt that are important to know about. Some of it is medicinal. Some of it has other purposes. But yes, an apothecary is the store in which you would sell those things in if you found them out in the wilderness. Say you found a flower and its juices or its oils was good for acne. You could bottle that up and sell it at an apothecary. It's like a flea market slash pharmacist. But the fact that you're a horticulturalist is interesting, and I'd like to talk to you about that. Let's get to it in the Q&A. So I'd like to find out what you're doing. It's pretty interesting. And he made for the altar a brazen grate of network or crisscrossed metal, like a like the grill on a grill. Under the compass thereof, beneath unto the midst of it. So in the middle of it was the grate where you would cook over top of the grate. And he cast four rings for the four ends of the grate of brass to be places for the staves. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with brass. 
Notice that anytime they're messing around the uh, fire, they're using brass and not gold because brass is stronger than gold. And also, it probably handles fire better. I don't know for sure, but I'd say it probably does. And he put the staves into the rings on the sides of the altar to bear it withal. He made the altar hollow with boards. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass. And the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he made the court on the south side southward. The hangings of the court were of fine twined linen and hundred cubits. It's a pretty big courtyard. Their pillars were twenty, and their brazen sockets were twenty, and the hooks of the pillars and of their fillets were of silver. And for the north side, the hangings were an hundred cubits. Their pillars were twenty, and their sockets of brass were twenty, and the hooks of the pillars for their fillets of silver. And for the west side were the hangings of 50 cubits. Their pillars 10, their sockets 10, and the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. Now, if you can picture this, this is a rectangular-sized courtyard. You got two short sides and two long sides. So 100 cubits in length was the, each side of the courtyard, and 10 cubits was the length of the uh, cross-section of the courtyard. So it's fairly decent sized, big enough for quite a few people to get in it. And for the other side of the court gate, on this hand and that hand were hangings of 15 cubits and their pillars three and their sockets three. And the hangings of the court round about of, were of fine linen. Hey, there's April. I'm here, running late as usual. I apologize, Jake and chat. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Well, at least you made it. That's all that matters. And the sockets for the pillars were of brass, and the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver, and the overlaying of their chapters or capitals of silver. And all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. Now, what a chapter is, or a capital, is the top stone of a pillar if you look at a porch that has pillars on it today kind of like the white house has the pillars you know that's a roman design by the way and you'll notice at the top and at the bottom there's an extra stone that holds the pillar in place on both top and bottom and it's bigger than the pillar is and it's usually square and then round and then the pillar goes on the round part on both sides well that thing's called a capital today but back then it was called a chapter same word, same meaning, different word. That's what I meant to say. And all the tabernacle and all the pins of the tabernacle and of the court round about were of brass. This is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle of testimony, as it was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son to Aaron the priest. <laughs> and Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the guy they made that movie about, Ben-Hur, that means son of Hur, could have been Bezalel or Uri. 
both of them were Ben-Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. See, the Lord commanded Moses, and Moses delegated the work and got it done. That's how you do it. And with him was Ahaliab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a cunning workman, and an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet and in fine linen. So in other words, he liked to crochet a lot. He was kind of like the loafers and he had a lisp, but he made pretty, pretty blankets. And all the gold that was occupied for the work and all the work of the holy place, even the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. That's a lot of gold, folks. A lot of money in that tabernacle. You think that they were poor? They weren't poor. They were literally sitting on a gold mine. And the silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was in hundred talents and a thousand seven hundred and three score and fifteen shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And a uh, sorry, a bekah for every man. That is, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. So every man got half a shekel to himself. For everyone that went out to be numbered from 20 years old and upwards, for 600,000, 3,550 men. That's a lot. Let's read that again. 600,000 and 3,500 men. So that's... Uh, A lot of people. Everyone, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that like button. Much love, says April. Thank you, sweetheart. Hello, Aunt Deb. Caucasian Sasquatch. MBTV, Andrew. Wowee. Nice to see you all here. Hey, man. I'm happy, too. I'm glad you're here, sweetheart. Hope you had a good day today. Of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil, and hundred sockets of the hundred talents, a talent for a socket. So each socket was a talent of silver. They could have just said that. And of a thousand seven hundred and seventy and five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their chapters and filleted them. And the brass of the offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And therewith he made the sockets to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the brazen altar and the brazen grate for it and all the vessels of the altar and the sockets of the court round about and the sockets of the court gate and all the pens of the tabernacle and all the pens of the court round about. And of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made clothes of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Yeah, they had some pretty uppity get-ups that they were had to wear to go into that place. All of them dressed to the nines, but 
the priests that went in the holiest of holies, they really had some bling bling on if you know what I mean. And he made an ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen. An ephod is like a vest. And they did beat the gold into thin plates and cut it into wires to work it in the blue and in the purple and in the scarlet and in the fine linen with cunning work. So basically, it's like chain mail, but the fabrics were woven in, in between the chains. So they're wearing armor, by the way. Godly armor. Pretty colored godly armor. <clears throat> and the curious girdle for his ephod that was upon it was of the same according to the work thereof of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen, and as the Lord commanded Moses. So you had a vest and a girdle, or what we would call today a cummerbund, pretty much the same thing, keeps the gut in. Because if you're going to stand before the Lord, you got to look jacked, you know what I'm saying? They took the William Shatner approach. So he's wearing a cummerbund and a vest made of blue, purple, and scarlet intertwined by chains of gold. So it's like chain mail, but cloth woven in the chains. And they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches or little little pouches, little places where they could set the stones. Ouches of gold, graven as signets are graven with the names of the children of Israel. So each onyx stone had one name written on it. There were 12 of them. And he put them on the shoulders of the ephod that they should be stones for a memorial to the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he made the breastplate of cunning work, which goes over the ephod. The breastplate's like a square bulletproof vest. It goes right over that vest, hangs over the chest area, chesticle area. Like the work of the ephod, Gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen. But this breastplate will have 12 stones in it of different kinds. It was four square, meaning it was perfectly square. They made the breastplate double, so it was double thick. A span was the length thereof, and a span was the breadth thereof, being doubled. Now, a span is the length of, the, of your hand. So that's about the length between your nipples, a little bit. So both directions, and doubled. And they set in, and they set in it four rows of stones. The first row was sardias, sardias, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This was the first row: sardias, topaz, carbuncle. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. 
and they were enclosed in ouches of gold in their enclosings. So they were set inside these ouches so they wouldn't fall out. They're part of the breastplate. So there's four rows of three. That's 12. And on the stones, and, and the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, every one with his name according to the 12 tribes. And they made upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreath and work of pure gold. So they were actual linked chains on all four corners to hang it over the body. And they made two ouches of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings in the two ends of the breastplate and they put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. And the two ends of the two wreathen chains they fastened to the two ouches and put them in the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. So it hung down from the shoulder pieces to the breastplate, short chains from the shoulder to the breastplate. The other two went down around it. You can picture He-Man's get up. You know He-Man? You know how he wears that thing that goes around him this way and this way? That's kind of what this is doing. Breastplate in the middle, chains wrapped around to hold it. And the two ends of the wreathing chains, they fastened to the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate upon the border of it which was on the side of the ephod inwards, on the inside here at the bottom. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate upon the border of it, which was on the side of the ephod inward. And they made two other gold rings and put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath towards the forepart of it, over against the other coupling thereof above the curious girdle of the ephod. So down here by the waist. So the two chains on the top were to hold the ephod or hold the breastplate to the ephod, and the two chains on the bottom were to keep it from flapping around. If that makes any sense. And they did bind the breastplate by his rings unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it might be above the curious girdle of the ephod, that the breastplate might not be loosed from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. So they tied it also with a blue ribbon. So not only did you have the four chains, but also a blue ribbon holding it down. So it wasn't going anywhere. And he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all blue or wool or corduroy, something like that, some woven work. Might have been like an Indian blanket. Who knows? But it was blue. And there was an hole in the midst of the robe, and the hole of a habergoin, with a band round about the hole that it should not rend. Now, what are we talking about? This robe, that's the wrong word. You can solve this by calling it a poncho. Now you know what it is. It's got a hole in the middle of it, and you put it over, and around the hole... They got it woven round and round and round and round so it don't tear because they just cut the hole in it. Loose fabric tears, so they put a border around it, wrapped it around and round and round and round like a spring all the way around. That way it wouldn't tear when they put it on, right? So now you know what the robe looks like, a poncho. <laughs> 
and they made upon the hems of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and twined linen. And they made a bell of pure gold, or made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates upon the hem of the robe. So it's pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, all the way around the hem. And the bells are made of gold. Now, did they tingle? I don't know. I don't know if they were just facsimiles of a bell or they actually rang. I don't know. But the fact they made them out of metal makes me think they probably rang. So he probably, you could hear him coming around the corner is what I'm saying. A bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate round about the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made coats of fine linen of woven work for Aaron and for his sons and a miter or a hat, funny hat, of fine linen and a goodly bonnet, which is another funny hat of fine linen and linen breeches of fine linen, fine twined linen and a girdle of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet of needlework. In other words, they were embroidered as the Lord commanded Moses. So some of them were wearing robes and other ones were wearing pants. That's what breeches are. Or like chaps, actually. Leggings. And they made up the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it the writing like to the engraving of a signet. Holiness to the Lord. Now, you got your mitre or your funny hat and then on the front of it is a gold plate that says holiness to the Lord. Some people are wearing bonnets, which is like a thing you tie around your head, covers your hair. And other people are wearing miters. The high priest would wear a miter, which is the funny hat like what the Pope wears. You know, the big pointy hat. And on the front of it is the gold plate that says holiness to the Lord. And they tied unto it a lace of blue to fasten it on the high upon the miter as the Lord commanded Moses. So it's tied to the miter so it won't fall down. It's hanging there right above his forehead. Thus was all of the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. And they brought the tabernacle unto Moses, the tent, and all his furniture, and his tatches, and his boards, and his bars, and his pillars, and his sockets, and the covering of ram's skin dyed red, and the covering of badger skin, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony, or the ark of the covenant later, and the staves thereof, and the mercy seat, the table, and all the vessels thereof, and the showbread, the pure candlestick with the lamps thereof, even with the lamps to be set in order, and all the vessels thereof, and the oil for the light, and the golden altar, and the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, and the hanging for the tabernacle door, and the brazen altar, and his gate of brass, and his staves, and all his vessels, and the laver and his foot, and the hanging of the court, his pillars and his sockets, 
and the hanging of the court gate, his cords and his pins, and all the vessels of the service of the tabernacle for the tent of the congregation, the clothes of the service to do service in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister in the priest's office. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony, and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table, and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick, and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony, and put the hanging on the door of the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of burnt offerings before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shalt put water therein. That's so they can wash up after they get done, you know, cooking. And thou shalt set up the court round about, and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shalt hallow it, hallow it, make it holy by anointing it, anointing it with the oil of our people, the olive oil, the pure olive oil and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar and it shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the laver in his foot, and sanctify it. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and wash them with water. Don't let them go inside yet. They need to be cleaned first, and hallowed, and sanctified. So you take them to the door, and you wash them. Make sure you get them clean. Get behind the ears you know, the crack of the ass and all that. Clean them up. Get them nice and clean. And thou shalt put Aaron, put on Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Aaron gets to minister to God. What does that mean? Pretty much talk. He says what he knows and God corrects him. It's kind of how that works. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats, and thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. These people ain't getting away with nothing. Their whole existence, all the generations of Levites are to be priests and are to be special to minister unto God and have him minister back unto them. This is a one of those moments where you don't have free will. You've been appointed. This is your job from now on. And that's the way it goes. Hey, I can't hear, but I love. And I'm sorry you can't hear. 
Thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month on the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the coverings of the tent above it, upon it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he took and he took and put the testimony into the ark. What is the testimony? That is the Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna, and Aaron's rod, or his staff, whatever, the thing he threw down that turned into a snake, that thing. Those are the three items in the Ark of the Covenant. Those are the testimony of God. Those are proof that God did what he said he was going to do. put the testimony in the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. <clears throat> and he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northwards without the veil, outside the veil, right outside the door. That's where the showbread is. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southwards. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil. And he burnt sweet incense thereon, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. You know, this was like the 60s, so they had the beads hanging down that you go through. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was a, a curtain, not a door, but a curtain. You just push it open and go in. And he put the altar of the burnt offerings by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it burnt offerings and meat offerings as the Lord commanded Moses. Hey, Kev, what's up, buddy? And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. And when they went into the tent of the congregation and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then, once everything was done, the thing was open for business. The lights are on. The people are dressed. Everybody's cleaned and washed. Everything is set up inside and outside. Court gate round, court round about the tabernacle and all the people are gathered then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode therein and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up, 
from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. So God spent a great deal of time in that tabernacle. And when he was there, they sat still. And when he left, then they moved. And then when he came back, they stay still again. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And that's the end of the book of Exodus, ladies and gentlemen. And now we enter the great book of Leviticus, the book of the Levites. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it with his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. In other words, we're not forcing you to do this. You must be of your own free will and accord to offer your best cattle, male, without blemish of a certain age. That's the rules. I don't want no spotty cows being sacrificed. I want good, unmarbled meat, young and pure, and perfect, and of your own free will. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. This is my offering, Lord. Please forgive me for my sins. And if it is right, he'll accept it. Keep in mind this is before Jesus and before all the other bad stuff that went on. So at this time, this is how you dealt with sin. It's not that way anymore, but it was that way then. Why? Because that's what man's idea of atoning for sin was. Man's idea was that only blood could cover sin. So they used a sacrifice to atone for their sins. And God said, if you're going to do it, you got to do it this way. This is the way I want it done. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar and by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces or butcher it. This all sounds gross, but just think about how you make your food. You know, if you, have, if you bought a whole chicken, you'd do the same thing, except for the sprinkling of the blood. The blood was symbolic, though. In the Bible, the life is in the blood. So in order to make the sacrifice a worthy sacrifice, God had to sample the blood. So he put a little over here and put a little over there, and everything's copacetic. Go ahead and make your sacrifice. Why? I don't know, but that's the way he wanted it done. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat 
in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his innards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So the legs and the innards is what God wanted. You can't eat those things, by the way. Notice that this is conveniently um, copacetic for a meal. He, t- he said, take all the guts and the legs and wash it clean and then burn it in the altar till it's gone. Then cook the food, the pieces that you cut up, and you guys get to eat that. Why? Because God don't have a mouth, per se, or stomach, per se. (sighs) And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. Notice the pattern here. He shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle his blood round about the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with his head and his fat. And the priests shall lay them in order on the wood that is in the fire, which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the innards and the legs with water. And the priests shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Imagine it does smell good, but you don't want to eat those things. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of the fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons and he shall let him go and go to KFC and bring back a bucket of chicken. No, he didn't say that. They didn't have KFC back then, so they had to make do with turtle doves. Turtle dove, your way, right away, turtle dove. And the priest shall bring it under the altar and wring off his head. That's how you kill a chicken, by the way, or a bird. Uh, they do that even today. They just do it with a machine. Head pops off. Anyway, KFC does sound good. I'm hungry now. Ring off his head and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. Don't put it in the altar because it's not beef. It's chicken. It's bird. So put the, the, the blood off the side. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes because that's all going to get thrown away. You don't eat the feathers. So pluck it and he shall cleave it with the wings thereof but shall not divide it asunder. That's because there's not a lot of meat. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So in other words, he's saying take the wings, but leave the breast whole. And then, you know, do away with all the other stuff. 
I guess God likes dark meat. Go figure. I kind of do too. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. We're talking about biscuits, folks. And he shall bring it to Aaron, sons, the priests, and he shall take there out his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar. And to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. And this is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So, what are we saying here? If you're going to cook for the Lord, you got to bring meat, preferably, but you can bring a bird if you got nothing else. And you got to bring biscuits. That's what flour and oil and frankincense makes. Biscuits or cakes or uh, what do you call those fritters? Might be that. Might be bread. But I'm thinking biscuits. So I'm thinking biscuits and meat's a pretty good dinner. And then there's a certain portion of it that will always be for Aaron and his son. So they get fed no matter what. That remnant is always theirs. No matter who get, who does the offerings, no matter how much of it is offered, they get their portion because they're doing the hard work. So they're going to be taken care of by the Lord. All the offerings brought in, they get a remnant of it and, a, and their portion, their handful of the flour and their piece of the meat is always set aside for them because they're the ones in there doing the work. They're running the tabernacle. They're doing the ministering. They're doing the high priest stuff, and they have no choice. Their whole bloodline has to do that, and they bear the Ark of the Covenant. So they're taken care of. They will never have to want for anything. They may never be rich. They may never be powerful, but they'll always be taken care of by God. I know a little something about this because he takes care of me in a similar manner, but I'm not a Levite, I don't think. But I do God's work, so he does make sure I'm taken care of, and that's a good thing. And I can attest to that. But trust me, when I say that if you work for the church, you are taken care of. That's the whole reason it's set up the way it's set up. So Aaron and his sons, and it's a most holy thing, by the way, to make sure they get what they need to survive is a most holy thing. You are, If you are part of that, you are participating in a holy thing that is set up by God. And you got to know that in your mind and be okay with that because that's the way the world works. And if thou bring an oblation of meat, of a meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. These are not biscuits. These are more like fritters. Nonetheless, they are edible and they're delicious. To hear always be taken care of. Yes. That's nice to hear, always being taken care of. Yes. It is nice. It's a comforting thought. I know that in doing God's work, I won't need anything. I may not get what I want. I may not be rolling in it, but my bills will get paid, and I'll be fed, and that's all that matters. 
The rest is irrelevant. The rest is just the desire of man. And if I want more, I can go out and work and make more and get more. But to be fed and be covered <coughs> and to be, you know, provided for, that's a fair offering. That's God saying he appreciates the work I'm doing. I believe that wholeheartedly. He doesn't have to say it. When I go get a little empty, something always shows up. I don't have to ask for it. It's just there. So I get fed. I've never been a day without food in my stomach since I started this thing. I've never been a day without electricity. I've never been a day without cigarettes, which isn't a necessity. But they've been there. You know, I've made sure that it's happened. That's God. That ain't me. I'm not out doing anything extra. I do have a job, but I use that money for, you know, paying bills and and things like that, putting gas in my bike and that sort of thing. Yes, well said. Thank you, ma'am. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. If thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a frying pan, that's not bacon, that's frying. Get your facts straight. It shall be, aha, I found, a, I found one. There's a contradiction in the Bible. It made a mistake. It made a mistake. Look, it said frying pan was baking. <laughs> that's about the only error you're going to find in the Bible, and that's not an error. That's a way of talking. Just joking, but seriously. If your meat offering be made in a frying pan... It shall be made of fine flour with oil. That means bread it. Cook it like a pork chop, you know, breaded pork chop or chicken. If you're going to make it in a frying pan, put some bread on it. That's what God's saying. And thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord. And when it is presented unto the priests, he shall bring it unto the altar. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof or his portion and shall burn it upon the altar. Altar. It shall be an offer made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So a portion of it gets burnt on the altar, and the rest of it gets eaten by the priests. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. He doesn't like leaven. He don't want yeast in his food. He wants it unleavened. We like leaven. God does not. From the very beginning, leaven has been allegorious of sin because it grows and it rises through the people just like leaven. One sin causes another sin, that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, God ain't crazy about leaven or yeast, as we would call it today. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in an offering to the Lord made by fire. He wants that sweet savor to come from the meat. Don't put any honey on your meat when you're making it for God. You can do it for yourself. Chicken and honey, some beef and honey, some pork and honey is actually quite tasty. But don't do it when you're burning it for God. Blame it on the yeast. Right. Maybe God just don't want a yeast infection. Uh, 
as for the oblation of the first fruits, that's the first thing your crop produces. You shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. Why? Because that's not how you make vegetables. The first fruits are from your crops, and you want to prepare your vegetables differently than you prepare your meat. That's obvious. Also, further proof that they're making dinner. with the added bonus of being an offering to God. How you like my new glasses? <laughs> and every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. In other words, don't give me no unsalted meat. Every offering of meat should be salted. Why? Because it's good. That's why. And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. If you don't know what that is, it's like cream of corn. Or whole kernel corn. It's corn not on the cob. And thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof, and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and the rest. They put some butter on it and chew it up. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. What is a peace offering? It's a little different than a sin offering. It's a, some people call it a love offering. It's not the best thing you got, but it's all you got, right? It's not the best thing, but it's all you have to offer, so you offer it in peace. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the innards, and all the fat that is upon the innards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, or the, you know, what do you call that? Tenderloin, flanks. And the call above the liver, or the gallstone, or gallbladder. With the kidneys, it shall he take away. They don't want that in the offering. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt offering, or upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord be of the flock, male or female, 
he shall offer it without blemish. If he offer a lamb for his offering, then shall he offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle the blood thereof round about the altar and upon it. He shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offerings an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat thereof, the whole rump, it shall he take off hard by the backbone, the whole rump. If you know anything about <clears throat> butchering, you know that you can segment the entire animal without breaking a bone, right? Each bone has a little spot where you can cut right into that bone and then part it out, and it'll come right off if you know how to cut it. Otherwise, you're going to have to break the bone to get the meat off. But if you're a good butcher, you can cut right around that bone and just pop it right off. Same with the rump. There's a spot where the backbone connects to the coccyx bone where you can just cut right in there and pop it right off. And you got a whole rump. Of course, he don't want the legs. Remember that. But he wants that rump because that's a good roast. Now I'm really hungry. We need to stop reading this. I'm getting hungry. And the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks or the tenderloins, and the caul or gallbladder above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire unto the Lord. And if his offering be a goat... Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of it and kill it before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle the blood thereupon the altar round about, thereof upon the altar and round about. And he shall offer thereof his offering, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the innards and all the fat that is upon the innards. And the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall he take away. Yes, charity sharing, caring. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Charity. This is charity when you're giving peace as an offering. Yes, you could call it that. Distasteful. Hear about infections when it comes to the Lord. They gave me a bad taste in my mouth. Here in that. Hmm. Well, that's not good. Are you saying I gave you a bad taste because I said yeast infection? I was actually using that as an allegory for sin infecting people. It's a play on words. Sorry that it disgusted you, but it was apropos. Think about the meanings thereof. You know that leaven or yeast is allegory for sin. It always has been. It always will be in the Bible, which is why he didn't want any of it. Then I used the term yeast infection as an allegory for what actually happens with people. Sin will infect people like one, good ap one bad apple and a cart full of good apples. Soon all the apples will be bad apples because it just spreads. That's why God uses 
yeast or leaven as an allegory for sin because it's so accurate. It's the exact same principles at play. So I apologize if it offended you, but, you know, tighten up, toughen up. I meant what I said, and it was a good metaphor, even though it was distasteful, and I apologize for that. <clears throat> and the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord's. You don't get any of the fat. The Lord gets the fat. That's not good. You need fat to survive, but I'm sure they get a little in their meat. Please don't use his name when describing sin. Why not? He's the one that brought it up. I'm just reporting the news. You realize that God created all this, including the bad stuff, right? And then he gives you a choice as to whether or not to go in that direction. That's called free will. The reason you have free will is because there is a choice. If you didn't have a choice, it wouldn't be free will. Not in the term for which she's the butt of it. Huh? What are you talking about, Andrew? I think you misunderstood my intention. Either way, we'll talk about it in a minute. It shall be a perpetual statute for your for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. I got you, Andrew. The text typo. Spell check. I got you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. Well, that's strange. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the innards, and all the fat that is upon the innards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver and the kidneys 
it shall he take away, as it was taken off from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the skin of the bullock and all his flesh with his head and his legs and the innards and his dung. Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burnt. So that's all the leftover stuff. The stuff you don't eat. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty when the sin which they have sinned against it is known then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord, and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall bring of the bullock's blood to the tabernacle of the congregation, and the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, even before the veil. And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall take all his fat from him and burn it upon the altar. And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering. So shall he do with this, and the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. So, that, this stands by what I've said before, that ignorance isn't a sin. However, you can sin in ignorance. It's a much simpler process now. If you sin in ignorance, when you become aware that you have sinned, then you get on your knees and you ask the Lord for his forgiveness and he will give it. But you have to be earnest. You can't con God. You can't say it and not mean it. You have to mean it. That's the trick. And that means to not do it again. Go and sin no more. Back then, you had to perform this ritual of the atonement offering for the sin in front of the elders of the church because you weren't allowed to do it because you were the sinner, so your hands are dirty, literally. So the elder did it for you and then asked on your behalf for forgiveness and you were forgiven. That's the point of the offerings. It also helps that it feeds everybody. <laughs> so, and he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp and burn him as he burnt the first bullock it is a sin offering for the congregation. This is not the same as the offering as for a sweet savor before the Lord, which is why they burn it outside the camp and not on the altar. And that's where we're going to stop for today.
What a fantastically intense book. We'll pick up tomorrow night. Same bat time, same bat channel right here at Leviticus 4.22. I hope you learned a lot. I hope you got something out of this book. I hope it gave you a little understanding as to why things were laid out the way they were laid out and how they came about in the way they are now. And I hope that it causes you to delve deeper and to ask questions because that's how you learn things. Won't you do me a favor while you're sitting there after you've hit that like button? Press that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online and when my new videos drop. Smash that like button. It's free. It's effortless. It's right in front of you. It really does help the channel with the algorithms, and it helps us get recommended to other people. So why don't you do that? Share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share it with people you don't love. Bring them into the family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform me, drink my Kool-Aid. Make your own Kool-Aid. As long as you're thinking critical, that's what I'm after. I want you to think critical with that brain of yours. And hey, if you love the Word of God and you can see the value of what I'm trying to build here, or if you feel led to send tithes, offerings, or love offerings in the places where you're taught, or if you'd just like to pat me on the back and say, hey, good job, Jake, I'm with you. You can do that. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Jake Johnson Band. If you're a Cash App user, go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. It's a blessing for me. It's a blessing for you, too. God notices these things. We live in a reciprocal universe. You know, ask and you shall be answered. Knock and it shall be opened. Give and you shall receive. That's how the world works. So keep that in mind as you traverse through your life. And I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your support. And now, I will take your questions and comments and find out where we stand. Lay it on me, folks. Good study, says MVTV. Thank you. As the boys in Vegas note, it's all in the delivery. Yes, it is. Yes, great read, Jake. Thank you. Thank you all for coming, and we love you true. May God bless you and us all. That's beautiful, April. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> yes, I pray, and I know that each of you do, that God is with each and every one of us and that we are on the path, on a journey towards better understanding and better grasping of the Word of God. That's why we're here. That's what we're trying to do. And hopefully we're getting there. But that's just the way it be, you know. One day at a time, one book at a time. And uh, I know I've learned a lot since I've started this endeavor, and I hope you have too. Questions, comments, criticisms, catharsis, the floor is yours. I am going to take a drink of this lovely Code Red Mountain Dew. Mm. Not a sponsor. I just like it. That's right, says April. All we can do is work towards the goal of understanding. There's some people in some places that think they got a handle on that, and I'm here to tell you you don't, because I'm a pretty smart fella, and I don't. And if I don't, you don't either. That's just the way I see it. But because we're doing this thing, because we come every week, and we delve into it, and we break it apart, and we ask questions about it, and we look at it, 
as if it were happening, and we look at it as if these people are real, and we read the stories, because of that, I believe each and every one of us have a better understanding than we started with as to what the Word of God says, what it means, and what's expected of us as we go through this life. And uh, I could not ask for more a blessing than that. That's a beautiful thing to have. And I'm glad to be part of it. And I'm glad each and every one of you are here with me doing it. And I hope we can do it for many, 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 many years to come. And as we grow and get bigger and the chat gets faster and faster and I recoil because I can't handle it, that's what we're after. That's what I want. I want there to be so many questions asked that I literally can't answer them all. That's when I'm going to start delegating the job to you guys, alumni, people who have been here from the beginning, people who know the answers to the questions they're asking. And you're going to answer. And that is as close as we'll ever get to being a full-fledged church. You'll be the deacons and I'll be the pastor. And give a big thumbs up to everyone. I don't have a thumbs up button on this end, but if I had one, I'd lay it on you. I think we're doing pretty good, though. We've been at this for two solid years. Actually, I've been at it for four years, but two in this particular iteration. Hey, Fab Daddy, what's up, buddy? Pop, 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 pop. Good to see you. That's what's real. Amen. I think we're doing good. Growing and growing. We passed a couple hurdles. Now our next goal is to reach a thousand subscribers. So we need to start pushing this year to get that done. Because by next year I want to see that thousand and then some. Orange soda binger. Cherry soda binger. Your turn. Right on, love. How you doing, Fab Daddy? You had a good day? Hope so. Good weekend? You get everything done that you set out to do? I guess Caucasian's done going over to Captain Curmudgeon full-fledged. He was here for a little while, but he bailed, I think. Yeah, well, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I thought I'd see uh, Blackout Painting tonight. I guess he... Had enough last night, or whenever it was we were here. I guess it was last night. Felt like last night. Been a long week. I feel like I've done three podcasts in a row. I'm watching Troll on Netflix. Interesting. That's a good movie. The first one. First Troll. That's like the Leprechaun spinoff, right? Seems like I've seen that. I may be thinking about Leprechaun, though. But I think I saw Troll. Isn't it basically the same thing as Leprechaun? Much love, sweet tea. Yeah, mm, about to get, yeah, and food. Haven't ate yet. I haven't eaten yet either, and I'm starving. I didn't eat anything yesterday at all. I slept all day. 
And uh, so it's time. I got me a couple burgers over here I'm going to tear into after the podcast is over. Oh, it's a Finnish film. Finnish film called Troll. Okay. I may not have seen that one then. I must be thinking about Leprechaun. Troll, the animated movie for kids? I don't think so. It might be, but I don't think so. I think it's a horror movie. Real life, new movie. Gotcha. I'll have to check that. Is it in English or is it in Finnish? If it's in English, I'll watch it. Tonight I'm going to watch Tulsa King, Episode 4. And I'll probably watch Avenue 5. Which is a pretty interesting British sci-fi movie. Kind of strange. Both. Whoa. Sounds like it's scary. Oh, it's both in English and in Finnish? I got you. I will check it out. Let me know if it's any good. Bullet Train is on Netflix now. I heard that was a good movie. Is that the one with Brad Pitt in it? And that's one I want to see. I like Bullet Train. I haven't seen it yet. But I will see it. I'll check it out. I'm trying to think of a movie I just saw recently. It's a vampire movie that has Snoop Dogg in it. And I think Jamie Foxx is in it. I think that's who's in it. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a pretty good movie. If you guys get a chance to catch it, and it was on Netflix, I believe. So if you guys get a chance to catch that, it's a pretty good vampire movie. Kind of reminds me of an 80s flick. They went about it in that kind of way. So it had some good story. It had some good fantasy elements. And it was a typical, I mean, there's nothing new in it. It's what you expect for a vampire movie, like The Lost Boys or... You know, whatever, love at first bite, whatever. It's typical vampire stuff. But it's well done. And it's actually kind of funny. So check it out if you get a chance. I can't remember the name of it now. It's killing me. You see, if uh, Blackout Painting was here, he'd tell you exactly what the name of it was. But it was a good movie. And it's Jamie Foxx and Snoop Dogg. So that ought to tell you who it is. Right quick, and be on the cover. April says, Andrew, much love. MVTV, good to see you, Aunt Dev. I love you, and yes, I want to see it too. Brad is coming. LOL. <laughs> the English is an excellent Western series, but Emily Blunt can do no wrong. New guy I never saw plays... The Choctaw Indian and his great, the English? I'll check it out. Kevin Cox says, we are the designated Amazon location for Florida. It is Christmas time, and so far, as I am on the back deck, 
three Amazon planes have flown over. That means a lot of shopping. I bet it is. I bet Amazon is fully loaded right now. Full blast. Everybody going hard as they can go. Hopefully that means a good year for the stores. Hope so. By the way, what did you need my address for? You asked for it a couple weeks ago. I'll give it to you. I've been looking to see if you were going to send me some mail. I don't know why I thought of that, but just curious. Anyway, I hope all of you have a fantastic Christmas and birthdays and such. I hope that Santa Claus brings you everything you want, even though that's not a real thing. I still hope it. Hope you have lots of presents under the tree. Hope you get to be with your kids. Hope you get to be with your loved ones. And I hope you have a fantastic week for Christmas. People in Sebring also. I know people in Sebring also. Wow. Well, that's not too far from where you're at. It's only an hour or so up the road. When I can, Jake... I will send you a copy of the Haunted Marysville book as really interested in your take on what I witnessed. Is that a book you wrote? Please do send it. I would love to. I'll do a, re I'll do a reading of it. Julie Berryman. Hey, uh, how are you? Welcome, welcome. Santa said you were not on the naughty list, and he needed it. Well, I don't know how I skipped it. I've been awful naughty this year. But if I'm not on it, that's good. It means I won't get a lump of coal. I think I think that's what that means. I'm not up on my Santa lore, but, you know. Anyway, what do I need to do to get on the naughty list? Yes, not far at all. Hi, Julie. Good to see you. Glad you could drop by. I hope you got to catch some of the study. And I hope it was interesting. Mm. Kevin is in the book. LOL. I never got your address. You never asked for it. I'll give it to you, though, if you want it. I need to get a post office box made up. I'd be giving out my address. People be showing up at my house at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I have to shoot somebody. That's not good. But uh, anyway, do me a favor. I don't want to put it in the live stream, so if you want my address... Go here, untetheredlivestream at gmail.com, and send me an email, and I will send you my address to your email. But you got to send me one first because I don't have your email address. But there's my email address. If you want my address, just send me an email and say, hey, give me your address, and I'll send it to you. There it is. I have to play holidays on TV or internet. This will be one I better distract myself being so isolated. I know, Jake's Bible Studies. That's right. You come to Jake's Bible Studies and I'll be your buddy. I'll be company for you. And by the way, if you're that alone, let me know and I'll do a live stream just for you on Christmas Eve and we'll be together. And uh, that's not much, but it's something. 
I don't want nobody to be by themselves on Christmas. So if you want it, all you got to do is tell me, and I'll be right here for you. I'll even, you know, cook something or something. We'll make it. We'll make something out of it, if that's what you're interested in. But by no means should you be by yourself on Christmas. You have family. We're here. We love you. And we will be with you. And I guarantee you, somebody from the chat will show up. You won't be by yourself. It won't be just me and you. And then you'll see who your friends are. Because even if they're with their families, there's that time after dinner when everybody's sitting on the couch watching football or whatever. They'll be here. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I intend to visit the dispensaries for some special treats. And all should be okay. Plus, sugar and chocolate. Amen, brother. Well, like I said, if you want it, you just let me know and I'll be right here. We'll do a live stream and uh, you can come on and uh, we'll do whatever you want to do. We'll talk about whatever or play music or whatever it is you want to do. We'll do it. Hey, we got ourselves a sports update from Kevin Cox. The Final Four do the college football playoffs in Georgia. Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Georgia plays Ohio State December 31st in the Peach Bowl. Winner takes on Michigan. TCU winner. Go dogs! For the national championships, go dogs. That was a good one, Kev. Thanks. Keep us updated on them sports numbers. We got to know it. We got to have it. Hmm. I don't know what day it falls on. Let me look. <clears throat> oh, my birthday is on a Saturday. I may do a birthday stream on Friday, though. Kevin Cox Sports Update. Cats are ruling, running. Cats are cats everywhere running. Gotcha. Okay, just sent you the galley proof. Exactly the same as it shows in print, but in PDF form. First chapter in issue. Tell me if it doesn't show, as I may have misspelled the address. I'll go and look. Give me just a second. Nope, I don't have it yet.
That is untethered live stream. All one word. Untethered live stream at gmail.com. Here's the spelling again in case you need to see it. Happy birthday to you, sir. Well, in, in, in six days. It's on the 10th. Your email is too prone to misspelling, or I am. <laughs> Going to have a birthday present video for you on Friday, Jake, okay? I'll have to email the video when we get it in on the live, okay? Will you email it to me, and I'll put it right up here. And thank you. I love videos from fans and from family. I love it, I love it, I love it. It shouldn't be that hard, MVTV. It's untethered live stream, all one word, at gmail.com. And if you just can't do it, send it to jakejohnsonband at gmail.com, all one word. Unfortunately, I did pick a big name. But it was a fair bet that nobody was using untethered because it's not even really a word. And then lo and behold, there's like five untethered's out there now. I think they saw me doing it and wanted to get in on the action. Okay, will do. Looking forward to it. Yay. Me too. I can't wait to see what you make. I got it. Haunted Maysville. Downloading it now. I will read it tonight. I resent it. I did mess it up. I don't use short names either. No foul. Something about that word for me. I know it's weird. It's uh, T-E-T-H-E-R-E-D. U-N-T-E-T-H-E-R-E-D. It takes a little bit to get used to it, but once you get used to it, it's easy. But it's it kind of throws me too. Okay, cool, says April. <laughs> We're going to have us a good Christmas this year, though. Starting in about a week, I'm going to start playing some Christmas songs on here for you guys. Songs that I, I did, I recorded. And uh, I think you'll like it. Like convenient. Yeah, I can't spell convenient or necessary. For some reason, those two words blow me away. I hate that word, spelling. But went Mad Max to learn it. Convenient, convenient, convenience. C-O-N-V-E-N-I-E-N-C-E. Well, also conscience, consciousness, conscience, conscience. That can't be right. What movie is that from? I got it, though. I can't wait to read it. And thank you for sharing your book with me. 
And if you want me to, I'll do a review of it right here on Untethered Live. Give you some extra push. Not much, because I have a very small channel, but it's something. I'm sure it'll be interesting, though. Much love to you. Much love to all of you. Oh, yes. Great. I love to see the Christmas videos and songs. Yay. Yes. I might even put on a Santa hat. I would have lively arguments with the English teachers over all their rules that make no sense. Yes. Yes, yes. There are some strange grammar rules, but when you learn them, you can write pretty good. One of their rules I've never understood. And that is never write in the first person. Like never use the letter I, you know. Never say I saw or I said or I did. Always use one instead of me or you. Or don't ever be personal. And I always thought that was so strange because if you're writing fiction, I can see that if you're writing something technical. But if you're writing fiction, you're one of the characters. Usually the author is one of the characters. April says, Andrew, are you still here? I think he bailed. He may be in the background. I think I pissed him off. A review would be wonderful, but beware. It pushes 120 pages an editor let me run with it. Half is like my comments. First chapter was the big thing. Well, then I'll just review the first chapter. How about that? But I'll give you my honest opinion on it. Damn it. Last word. But a big correction learned later. Suicide did not take place in that cabin. Though it does not change the core events. Hmm. Well, let me read it and I'll figure it out. Much love to you, Andrew. I agree. And I'm sorry if I made you mad. But I believe what I believe. And if you'll think about it for a minute, you'll find out I was correct in what I was saying, even though it seemed distasteful. Sometimes you got to do that to make a point. It will make sense if and when. But I want that noted. You got it. I will read it as a friend reading a friend's work. And when I critique it, I will critique it as a professional critiquing a professional's work. And I'll give you a review worthy of the work. If that's what you want. But then you can say, on your next book, such and such, Untethered Live. And use me as a reference. I'm nothing if not outspoken. And I do have a degree in English, so, you know, I guess that matters. Or the equivalent thereof. All right, folks, we've reached the top of the hour. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the conversation and being such a great audience, such a great group of people to be around and to be friends with. I'm so happy to have you in my life. I hope you feel the same way. You're already going to be a main character somewhere. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm interested to see how you write me. That might be kind of fun or terrifying. Anyway, I want you to do me a favor. When you go out into the world tomorrow, when you encounter people of the opposite location, be nice to somebody. It's not hard. doesn't take any effort. won't change your day a bit. Just be nice. Go out of your way to be nice to somebody and see what happens. I promise you it'll change your life. It will turn on things that you never even knew were in you. It will cause you to become more compassionate over time. It will cause you to see the plight of other people over time. It will cause you to see their envy, their pain, their joy, their sorrow, their inconvenience, their love. You'll be able to see it clearly, purely, just by being nice. Just get involved in that action of giving of yourself to someone else. And I promise it'll change your life. Do that for me, won't you please? And see what happens. Safe travels, Jake and Chat. Thanks for the patience. Well done study and interaction. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. God bless you all. I hope that uh, all your dreams come true. And I hope that you learn everything you set out to learn and become everything you set out to become. But most of all, I hope you find your way to God. That's what we're trying to do here is open a door, a pathway to that so that you can do it easily without questioning. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow night at 8.30 right here on Untethered Live. Thanks for watching.